Thank you for Sean, for his service to you. Thank you for the uh, intellect and skills that he brings to interpreting the Bible. But thank you for the spirit he brings from his heart in applying it to our lives. And we pray now that you would anoint him with your spirit, guide him with your uh, spirit to uh, uh, bring the thoughts to mind that will glorify his name and will help us to serve you better. So we we come here with our hearts open. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Approximately 17 years ago, my wife and I were married for seven years. We had four children. Ben had just turned five. Toby was three years old. Andy was one year old. And Kate had just been born. She was three months old. We were in the baby stage. We were in the baby stage. There were many times where I, as a dad, was tempted to think, someday we'll be out of the stage. I was tempted to think, how will it be when my oldest son turns 10 years old and I can actually have a conversation with him that makes sense? (laughs) Or how will it be when we can prepare to go away for an evening and at least the two oldest and get themselves ready without mom and dad's help. During that time, I was talking with my dad. And the question I had for dad was, dad, in raising a family, what is the best stage? What is the most interesting stage? What is the most fun stage? And in his wisdom, he gave me an answer that I never forgot. He said, Sean, every stage. Enjoy every stage. Someday is probably the most elusive word in our English vocabulary. Someday never arrives. Someday is always out there. A two-year-old or a four-year-old might say, someday when I grow up, I want to be a fireman or I want to do what dad does. I'll tell you just a quick Interesting story. Those of you that know our two oldest boys, this was back when, I'm not sure how old Ben and Toby were, they were 15 months apart. And we were talking about what they want to do when they grow up. And Ben said, he wants to have his own business. And Toby said, I want to work for Ben. (laughs) That has changed quite a bit. (laughs) Ben has his own business, but Toby's not working for Ben. But just a side story. You might be in high school, and you might say, someday when I'm out of high school, I want to go to college, or I want to go on missions, or I want to get a paying job. You might be in college and say, I can't wait till I graduate. Someday I'll I'll get to put to use what I'm learning, and instead of paying money, I'll be making money. You might be sitting in the front rows as a single youth, and you're saying, I can't wait till I get married. I can't wait till I have a family. You might be sitting here as a young married couple with no children and saying, someday, I hope God blesses me with children. You might be sitting here with children and you're in the stage that I caught myself in 17 years ago, thinking someday this will change. You might be here as a young father starting a career and saying, someday, I'll be able to spend more time with my family. Someday, once I make this amount of money, I'll be able to give more. Someday, 
when the children are grown, we'll be able to go serve on a mission field. You might be a young mother and say, someday this pile of laundry will actually reduce. Someday I don't have to cook two or three meals a day. You might be a middle-aged family and saying, someday we'll have all the cars bought. Someday we'll have all the insurances paid. Someday we'll be empty nesters. And then you might be a retired couple. And I know, Paul, you're not retired, but I think you're the oldest couple here this morning. And you might reverse the thought process and say, oh, if only our table would be full of kids again. Or if only this would be taking place or that would be taking place. It's an illusion that hits all age groups. Someday, the dream of the next stage. The reason for preaching this sermon this morning is this. Now is the time to hunger for God with all of our heart. Today is the day to be the kind of person we dream of becoming someday. Let us not sacrifice the present by dreaming about the future. How many moments or how many chances and opportunities do we miss because we're not in the present? Because we're dreaming about the future. Every stage is a preparation for the next stage. Every stage is a preparation for the next stage. This is a continued sermon continuing the series on David. And I'd like to take just a brief look on in David's life as he is now ascending to the throne. First, the throne of Judah, and then after Ishbosheth is murdered, David has a chance of taking over all of Israel. And we'd like to take a little bit of a look of how things look from the perspective from David being on the top. David's life actually did not get simpler. It was complex. And this morning as I go through some of the things that we're going to be talking about, I'm preaching this sermon on taking the chance of coming across as negative in whatever stage you might be in. That is not the point of the sermon this morning. The point of the sermon is that each stage, God is preparing us for the next stage. If we go back and do just a little bit of a recap on David's life, on the sermons that we went through prior to this. First of all, we all know that David, the first stage in David's life was the back 40, learning how to use his weapon, learning who his creator was. What was God preparing him for? Preparing him to kill the Goliath, to kill the giant Goliath. His training took place in the back 40, the tools, he learned how to use his tools, and he learned to trust in the God that he loved. After he killed Goliath, he was on the run. He was on the run from Saul. He ended up in the cave of Adullam. On the run, he did some very stupid things. And I'm not going to go back through those things, but we talked about how he totally lost his mind a couple of times because of panicking. He forsook inquiring of God, and he tried to do things on his own, and he totally lost his mind, did some very not-so-smart things, ended up in the cave of Adullam, and that is again where he reconnected with God. He again started inquiring of the Lord. He acknowledged his mistakes and he regained his integrity. Then he got up again and kept going. 
and he regains his dignity. Now I'd like to look at David's ascent to the top. Second Samuel chapter 1, I'd like to read verses 1 through 4. And this is simply the passage where he was crowned as king of Judah, which would have been the southern part of Israel. Second Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into the city of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up, David. To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone in his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, there they anointed David, king over the house of Judah. Now at this time, Saul had just been killed. And the poor messenger that brought the news to David that Jonathan and Saul had just been killed, Saul was injured and this guy decided to put him out of his misery and do David a favor and kill Saul. And David was not pleased with the news because this was God's anointed. And the messenger lost his life. David, following the death of Saul, is now crowned king of Judah. The northern part of Israel, the larger part, is still under the reign of basically Saul's family or his son Ishbosheth. It was not an easy path for David from the sheepfold to the throne. There was a lot of blood. I'm sure there was a lot of tears. There's a lot of betrayal. There was deception. There was a lot of murder. There was a lot that happened before David actually reached the throne. David's ascent to the throne was anything but a smooth ride. There was a long, bitter feud between Saul's family and David. The betrayal, Abner, one of Saul's commanders, didn't get along with Saul's son, Ishbosheth, and struck up a deal with David, saying, hey, let's do this, and I'll bring the northern kingdom over, and we can consolidate the south and the north. By the way, this is all found in 2 Samuel from 2 through chapter 10. I'm not going to read the time. It would be interesting to read a lot of this, but I encourage you to read through that portion. So we have betrayal. We have murder. Joab, being one of David's high-ranking officers, felt his position threatened when Abner and David came up with a pact to bring the northern kingdom over to David. So what does Joab do? He murders Abner. Then we have another murder. Again, two guys thinking they're doing David a favor by getting rid of Ishbosheth, which would then make so that the northern kingdom has no king and it would be thrown over into David's rule and good to go. They came and told David, hey, we snuck in, middle of the day, we killed Ishbosheth. Those guys lost their lives. After all of this, the path is cleared for David to take over all of Israel. I don't understand why God uses the paths that he uses to accomplish his will. I think every one of us in this building would say that it was God's will for David to be king over all of Israel. We don't understand. I don't understand why God used or why God allowed betrayal, murder, death in order to accomplish his plan. And I'm not here this morning to explain that because I don't understand that. I'll leave that to God. But we do know that it did clear the path 
for David to be king of Israel. God had a plan for David to be king of Israel, even though we don't always understand God's way of accomplishing his plan. Some of that might happen in our lives today. Some of you men in here, in thinking of someday, there might be the day when you get a promotion at work. And you might be all excited about that promotion at work, but what we fail to think about is something happened that that position became available. Somebody else lost that position in order for you to gain that. It's all perspective. Let's look at David's view from the throne. Let's read 2 Samuel 5, verses 1-4. through Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be a shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. Here we have the young shepherd boy. He's killed the giant. He was on the run for numerous years, endured a lot of rough sailing. David has reached his someday. David has reached the top. Between the northern and the southern regions sat, I guess you pronounce it, Jebus, home of the Jebusites, also called Salem, which would have been home of the Jebusites. Now this was sitting right between the southern and the northern kingdoms, Judah and the greater part of Israel. We know this today as Jerusalem. And David grew this city to the point where he basically decided to call David's city. And we still see that term used today at times. But this is Jerusalem, very mighty and wealthy. David became one of the richest men of his time during that reign. Thousands of foot soldiers conquering one kingdom after another. Through all the ruthlessness that God used to get David where he was, he was continually with David. But David also kept inquiring of God. Jerusalem dominated the main trade routes in the region. At one time, as much as 90% of the world's wealth came under the rule of David at one point or another. How complicated life had become for a shepherd boy. Finances, construction, administration, transportation for all his people, military maneuvers, political agendas, many wives, many children, and everything kept multiplying. The bigger he got, the bigger he became. Everything kept multiplying. Do you think David ever thought back of his days in the back 40 and thought, what was I thinking when I thought someday I might be king over Israel? Or someday life might be more simple when I reach whatever. Obviously, this was God's plan for David. We know the scripture where Samuel was seeking a king for Israel and God told him he's the man, David. Before David arrived at this spot, God took David through many stages in preparation for this moment. Many times, David inquired of the Lord. 
If we'd continue to read in 2 Samuel, chapter 10 is, is where we read of his sin with Bathsheba. And you can pray for me for the next sermon in the David series. I'm planning to preach on the subject of adultery, which is not a fun subject to preach on. So pray for me as I prepare for that. But if we continue reading in 2 Samuel, we would see that David's life got more complicated. I guess we'll call it the four hours. As I was studying this, I, I came upon these four and they all started with R. David's life got more complicated. There was more rivalry. Family rivalry. There was rape. There was revenge. And a revolt ripped through his own family. And there was temptation. How can we personally apply David's experience to our own lives? As I read through these next few points, please, again, don't hear me through a negative connotation. But I'm actually laying it out of what life actually is. And then I am hoping to share some points on how we can go through these stages and learn and prepare for the next stage. Life does not get simpler. actually becomes more complex. Family, church, business, everything outside of the big three that we're involved in. Life becomes demanding. More people and more things demand our time. Dads, administrative duties. We might have employees, customers to take care of, committees. And I tell you, word spreads fast if you say yes to one committee and you do well. The phone starts ringing and the offers start coming or the requests. Moms, cooking, cleaning. You might have a side business that you're doing on the side. Laundry, counseling your children. Families grow larger, older, more expensive. Relationships become more difficult to manage. And unfortunately, through the busiest times of our life, Satan attacks. When you are in charge of your world, men, with no accountability, Satan does not let up. This is what happened to David. David was on top of the world. He was the strongest man in his day. And what Goliath could not do, one look did. Brought him down. And we'll get more into that in the next sermon. But I don't believe that David that afternoon, he was at home from battle and Bathsheba was on top of the roof just next to him. I don't believe that morning he got up and said, today I'm going to ruin my career. Today I'm going to make a stupid mistake. I don't think that's what happened. I think there was a lot of things leading up to that. So men, in our busiest times, be accountable. Be aware. Satan likes to distract with good things, getting us involved in good things and then attacking. Through all these years, we might still be saying, when I have it made, I'll have time for whatever it might be. We don't suddenly someday have an abundance of time and money. It just doesn't work that way. And we don't ever, I think, come to the point where we say, okay, now I've made this much in a year. That's good. We've reached. We've reached. We've arrived. Why am I saying all this? God wants all of us to be our best and find fulfillment in whatever phase of life we're in. David accomplished God's plan by reigning over Israel for 40 years. God wants all of us to be our best and find fulfillment in whatever phase of life we're in. Whatever stage you're in, 
you are in training for the next stage. Learning bit by bit to manage my time, to manage my money, to manage my power, to manage my relationships, and also to manage temptation. David was his best when he was singing and praying. David was a, he was a composer. If you read through the Psalms and keep track of how many choruses we know, we sing that are actually in Psalms. David was a, he was a poet. He was a composer. He was a singer. David was at his best when he was singing, when he was praising the Lord, getting his mind off himself and on God. He was at his best when he was praying and inquiring of God. No matter what stage he was in, Cave of Adullam, down in the dumps, as low as he had been up to that point, he again inquired of God. And he was at his best when he surrounded himself with wise counsel and accountability. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. And I'm taking this just a tad out of the context that Paul said it in, but I think it applies for what I'm talking about this morning. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm going to close this morning with five questions that I'd like for all of us to really think through. I'm going to read them slowly to give time for you to digest these questions and just be honest with yourself. Number one, am I learning to be responsible with time, money, and freedom now, today? Am I learning to be responsible with time, money, and the freedom that I have right now, today? Number two, am I calling on God now? Am I taking time for my relationship with Him now? Again, am I calling on God now? Am I taking time for my relationship with Him now? Number three, do I make myself accountable now? Or do I think, someday, I'm ready for accountability? Do I make myself accountable now? Am I surrounding myself with godly friends and counsel now? Number four, am I building strong relationships with my spouse and children now? Or am I thinking, once my career is off of first base, or once I'm out of debt, or once I'm whatever it might be someday? Am I building strong relationships with my spouse and children now? And number five, and I put this in here because... It's never too early to start. I know it's hard with a young family, but it's never too early to start. Is my house a place of hospitality and service now? God doesn't look at the amount that we can give right now. God looks at what are we willing to do right now in the stage that we are in. The lesson I took from studying this, and trust me, at my age of 48, I still have a tendency of thinking someday. But the lesson that I tried to take in studying for this sermon was that when David arrived to the pinnacle, then what? More responsibility, more complexity, more strife, more blood, more tears. Let's not 
think that someday we'll arrive only to find out that someday wasn't there. Someday again eluded and moved further out. This morning, to the youth, to you as young marrieds with children on your laps, to us as middle-aged, and to the older, let's embrace today. Seek God with your whole heart now. God is preparing you for the next step. Let's pray. God, this morning, as we look at David's life, I thank you for the example of embracing life now. Thank you for showing us how when David actually got to the pinnacle, life didn't let up and someday wasn't there. So Lord, I pray for each one in this room as we go in and out of these doors that we could embrace the now and not wait until for whatever. But Lord, give us the strength, give us the courage, help us to make the right decisions now in preparing for what you have next. So Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your guidance. We pray this all in your name. Amen.